Well, it is another Wake Up With KC. I'm Kimberly, and today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that it's I've been always wanting to talk about, and I'm briefly, you know, bringing in people to have this kind of discussion. And, you know, what if Christianity is not 100% accurate and true to it? And what if there is a narrative? What if there's more to it than we were taught to believe? And was Jesus really real or is it a myth? And I have someone that specializes in ancient history and went to school and got his PhD in reference to um, the myths of Christianity and the Roman Empire and how are they connected. So please welcome Dr. Richard Carrier. Hello, Hello, Richard. Thank you. I have, a, there's a lighting issue. Hold on one second. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just noticing that I'm like, something doesn't look right. And that's a little better. Yay. So sorry about that, everybody. It's just the lighting was bothering me. Um, I didn't catch it until now. Usually that happens when you're looking in a camera and you're like, wait, something's not right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Richard, I've been waiting to have you on my show. I know things happen and whatnot. However, I came across something, and because I'm always asking a question, and I start questioning everything, because it seems like when I ask the question, oh, I get tr a piece of truth that leads me to ask another question. And in the midst of my question, you showed up. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you ran into it. I was like, huh. And that's how synchronicities work. Cause I'm all about energy and the spiritual connection, soul connection, especially when we're on our journey. And I saw the, the headliner was, did Jesus exist? And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So please share, you know, what you do and you know why did you come to what you do now I yeah I, right I, I actually have several tracks you know I, I work in philosophy contemporary philosophy as well as ancient history and I have a lot of interests I write in in ancient history but one of the more popular ones is this subject of the historicity of Jesus was there an actual man and uh, in in the field of biblical studies in in mainstream scholarship that there's an agreement that the gospel Jesus is mythological, that there's myth layered on top of the guy, but there's still like the general view is that there was at least a man, right? Like some sort of figure uh, who got things started and, and then the myths and legends piled up on top of him. Uh, and there's been for about a hundred years, uh, possibly more, there've been some scholars who've been wondering, well, maybe there's not even that, right? Maybe he's entirely mythical. Uh, and uh, there's been a lot of debate about this over this, the last century. And you, now, I'm curious, you, you know, there's a lot of, of stories, like, what, the one thing that confused me was, okay, supposedly there was this Jesus who was born in a manger, and then you barely touch, it was like a brief touch of 
he was born in a major, boom, boom, boom. And then he's 12 years old and he was in the temple. The parents left, forgot about him, came back. He was in the temple. Then you don't hear anything about him. Then all of a sudden he shows up. Right. You know, yeah. he's 30. So I'm like, huh, that doesn't sound or even look right. Like that, that doesn't make sense. You know? Yeah. And it's a common myth pattern. There's actually several heroes, ancient mythical heroes of that similar stories are told where you hear about some sort of crisis when they're a baby, someone tries to kill them when they're a child or whatever. Uh, and then there's no reference for the childhood or growing up. And suddenly they're an adult and they're in their thirties and then they've shown up and then great things happen, right? They're, they they come into their kingdom, as it were. Uh, th this this pattern recurs over and over and over again. And so uh, the gospels are kind of emulating this pattern. Uh, and so the question the question that I deal with is, was this pattern laid on top of a real person, kind of like the same way you look at the Rastafarians? You have Rastafari was an actual man, uh, but they they layer all these legends on top of him, make him their new messiah, which he denies, right? He denies all of that, and, and or dot, he did when he was alive. Um, uh, or was that the case for Jesus, or is Jesus like the other heroes that are like this that have these same stories told about them, uh, who did they didn't exist at all? So, like, is is Jesus like that? Uh, and then the question becomes, then, well, if that's the case, how do you explain the origins of Christianity? How did it begin? And uh, in that case, it would have begun the similar way that Mormonism began, similar way that even Islam began, uh, where the, the leaders of those religions, you have Muhammad and Joseph Smith, both claim to have been visited by this archangel representing God and, and gave them the, the revelations, right? So gave them the, the holy texts. Uh, and so you have Moroni for the Mormons, you have the angel Gabriel for the Muslims. Uh, what I think actually happened is that Christianity began a similar way. And Paul talks about Jesus in this same way, that he's some a revelatory being that you meet in visions. He's not someone that anyone met on earth. Uh, and then he revealed secrets about the nature of the cosmos and, and, and a particular incarnation, death, and resurrection that he underwent uh, in order to free everyone from the, the devil and his control over sin and so on. And then the idea of Jesus being a, a person who walked around Galilee as a preacher, that was invented a lifetime later, well after Paul, our first uh, author, died. Uh, so this is the, the question is, is this what happened? Is that how Christianity began or not? And that's the debate uh, that, that is occupying uh, my end of things that, I, that I'm actually involved in. It's one of many threads of research that I'm involved in. Well, then, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yes, because during my research as well, I come to find that there is, you know, pyramids all over the world. And, you know, the one that we know uh, most of is uh, in Mexico and in mm -hmm. Egypt. Right. But there's, you know, then you got the Machu Picchu in Peru and all of this. And then I come to find the Sumerian texts, the Emerald Tablets, you know, um, the Adamu Elish, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, it, and there's like so many more that I find a connection that this was written for you know, over 30,000 years. And it, it talks about civilization from what I call the Anunnaki pantheons, that they came from the, you know, back in those times, they could consider the sky the heavens. 
Yes, that's absolutely right. The, the idea of heaven being another dimension uh, is, is a more recent development. Back then, the cosmos, the heavens, was a place that you could look up to and visit, right? So the, the, they, when they're talking about ancients, they're talking about gods. It is true that they're talking about them in the same way we talk about aliens today. Right. So they were considered aliens. And then, you know, they're, they even talk about it in the scripture. So I'm like, why isn't everybody catching on? Like, these were aliens back then. Now, knowing what I know now, seeing UFOs flying around, you know, every now and then, you know, and then people making contact with them. Oh, and the what I've come to find out, how we were created. It's not like we were told to believe in Genesis. And then and in the Bible, there's two books, really. Right, two stories of Genesis. Yeah, I um, I actually, I don't believe any of that stuff, of course. I don't think uh, the gods, ancient gods, were actual aliens and so on. Um, but there are affinities to actually look at in the way we understand the world today versus the way they understood it back then. And you're right about Genesis. There's actually two com contradictory stories of the beginning of the world that were merged together into a single text, uh, creating contradictory accounts. But we have lots of like ancient accounts of the origins of the world. Uh, they're similarly constructed in the mythical way. Obviously, science doesn't support uh, any of those myths. Some do, some don't, you know. Um, but I, I find it fascinating even you know, over 90,000 years, even with the Sumerians, the um, Dogods, and even parts of Egypt, and there's even some places in the United States that they they drew figures. They really, it's like, how did they even create their language? You know, what was the first language? What was the first right. writing? There's, there's, a, there's a science of that, right? Uh, linguistics has studied that, um, historical linguistics, in terms of um, the way languages grew out of, well, originally started obviously animal calls, right? Uh, so, um, but eventually we just started using sounds to symbolize particular things. And we have different groups we can trace, for example, Western languages, most, not all Western languages, but most trace back to what's called Indo-European or Proto-Indo-European, which is a language spoken somewhere in the North India, Southern Russia area. Um, and then it just as people spread out, their, their language changed over time. And so they evolved into all of the languages that we, not all the languages, but many of the languages that we know in the West. Whereas something different happened with Sino-Tibetan, which is the Chinese and Asian languages. They have a different background. Um, and we are not able to trace it any further back. So it's possible they were invented set separately uh, as various other minor languages were. I think um, Gaelic and Basque, for example, are don't fit either of these patterns. They're completely independent languages. So I think people just start inventing languages, right? This is we'll be talking like twenty, maybe thirty thousand years ago, uh, and um, very primitive languages originally. But over time, they get more sophisticated and start to refer to more different things. Uh, and then, and then of course, they evolve out into many different ancestor languages, which is the languages we're speaking today. Oh, interesting. I learn something new every day. Uh, <laughs> so uh, getting to the, uh, to languages and then parts of history, you know, even reading in the scriptures, it, you know, some of it is a little, it is contradicting. And then there, it sets confusion because in one aspect of it, it says, you know, I thought of you before you were even in the womb to 
be prosperous and abundance. And then the next, you know, couple chapters later is, oh, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And I'm like, <laughs> but we're supposed to give you ties and you know it's like wait then why should i give you my ties then if it's you know the root of all evil here right yeah <laughs> yeah and then that gets but, like, you, you see it in the gospels where you have jesus is seeing the money as the corrupting feature one of the corrupting features of the temple cult right and he's against the the priest's obsession with the monetary aspect the monetization of the religion rather than of course uh the whether the real jesus or mythical jesus uh doesn't matter it's the same concept the, the christians had the same idea that they wanted to go back to more of a communistic way of living something that focused more on taking care of each other rather than uh well capitalism right is is the, the thing they're against monetizing religion is the thing that they were originally the early christians uh, we're actually against, um, of course, the Christian church then became another monetized religion. So you have like the Catholic church is very big on uh, money. <laughs> so that that yeah. would have been abhorrent to the original Christians. The, the early Christians would have found that everything they were fighting against. Well, then, you know, I, there's some documentaries that I came across, um, the Templars, the, the Night of the Templars, and then finding out, going back, in some of the parts of the origin of, of Christianity and the religion, they were harsh. They killed, they tortured if you didn't convert to their religion. Is that fair to say based on well, that, what you studied? That would have been like the Dark Ages, right? So when we're looking, that started to happen towards the end of the fourth century, which is about 400 years after the religion began. Um, the religion then became, yeah, it became imper an imperialistic, oppressive, uh, dominating colonialist, colonialist religion. So by then, that way, it was the exact opposite of what the original Christians back in the first century were trying to teach. They were trying to teach to leave those kinds of religious ideas, to, to not resort to war and oppression and, and compulsion and so on. Um, that was their original teaching, but it got completely flipped over time back into the thing that they were fighting against. And that's, you know, became the Middle Ages, became the Catholic Church and other churches that became very oppressive uh, and, and not really teaching the original uh, the original doctrines of what the, the sect was trying to say originally. Uh, they had even torture chambers and there's some still as now a museum over in Europe yeah, the Middle Ages got quite brutal. Uh, and in fact, they invented new horrible ways to torture people in the Middle Ages that are uh, even worse than crucifixion, which is interesting because, you know, have, you'll see Christians talk about, well, that was the worst way to torture someone. Um, well, I, then the Christians came along hundreds of years later and then made even worse ways to torture people than that. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a Some parts of bodies and, and it was in the indigenous tribes when they came over to to, right. to get them to convert because they would take the chief or the chief ist and put them on a, a spike up their private sometimes and yeah. so the tribes would watch and say you better convert to our religion and i just mm -hmm. like eh. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like, definitely Christians did that. Like, really? <laughs> there's a um, there's a good song. There's a heavy metal band, a Native American heavy metal band called Corporate Avenger, and they have a song. The title of the song is just Christians Murdered Indians, and then they go through 
uh, in the song talking about all of the ways that this actually happened. And, and yeah, this is, this is a, a terrible part of Christian history that I think Christians need to own up to and ask themselves, how did they that don't. happen? Right. They don't. I don't think they have a clue because you know what all they do is focus on the Bible. But then even yeah. in that book, they're talking about the Lord God said to go and murder children and yeah. rape women and take virgins. Yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah. That's all in there. People, don't, people often don't believe this, but yeah, there's, there's, and also just a, a religious oppression too, right? So there's a very explicit commandments from God to execute anyone who leaves the religion, any apostates. Uh, and, and not just execute them, but burn down their entire cities and kill all their pets. Like it's, it's like really, really brutal, uh, in the old Testament. Uh, and it, that kind of thing is what the sect of Christians originally were trying to get away from. Um, but their institution over hundreds of years just evolved back into the same thing that we get in the, the dark ages and the middle ages and, and the, uh, the hundred years war and all the, the wars uh, of religion that led to the founding of the United States. The, the constitution was written specifically to repudiate uh, the, this kind of violent religiosity uh, that had led to the basically the chaos of their world at the time. Wow. And it's still a little, um, you know, to me, racist because it was men. Right. Uh, well, men. Yeah, that would be, yeah, the, the sexist and misogynistic elements of it. Uh, yes. That, that's interesting. So here's the thing that people might not know. Um, if you go into the New Testament, there are letters supposedly by Paul. Uh, infamous example is First Peter, where, where he supposedly says, let a woman not teach or have authority over a man. She must be submissive and quiet, yeah. et cetera. Uh, Paul did not write that. That's a forgery. And that's actually mainstream consensus now. Scholars now agree that that was, that was faked. That letter was not written by Paul. Uh, and there's another one, uh, 1 Corinthians, there's a line in there that kind of repeats a similar sentiment, but it contradicts what Paul says in the previous chapter. So we know that line was added. So people doctored the text to make it more sexist and misogynist when originally it was being more uh, egalitarian. Uh, you can tell from Paul's giving instructions that women could have authority in the church, could speak openly in the church and, and so on. So, but within a hundred years, the Christian institutions didn't like that. That was too too radical, right? Uh, and so they actually went back to the sexist patriarchal methods of basically suppressing women, putting men back in charge. And so you see they, they actually forged and doctored uh, material in the New Testament to, to push that narrative. Uh, and this, this happens, unfortunately, quite a lot in religion, uh, which is one of many reasons why I'm an outspoken opponent of institutionalized religion. You and me both. I do not want no part of religion because it has not been any success in it. And to me, it's been just like what you said earlier, monetized. It's a, it's a form of business. But yeah, and, a, and a, a way to marshal violence um, in different ways, of violence and oppression, yes. to justify it. Um, Hector Avalos is a, a renowned biblical scholar, uh, expert in Old and New Testament. Uh, and uh, grew up poor in Mexico and then went on to become a PhD, a major uh, professorship. But he wrote several books on these, on these issues, one of which was Fighting Words. Uh, this is a really good book about why you can't say that all the violence caused by religion is really caused by other things, but religion is very integral in supporting and motivating that violence. Uh, and, and that's something that people need to face and confront uh, and hopefully someday do something about. Uh, but that, for people who are interested in that subject, Hector Avalos's book, Fighting Words, is a really good place to start. 
And wouldn't you agree that, you know, the when you were talking about the, you know, the constitution of, you know, um, the church, you know, separate from the state, there's something right. about, you know, separate from the state, but I don't mm -hmm. see that. I see that they're going cohorting together. Of course, they they're have always tried to do that. Into politics, they're bringing religion yeah. into, you know, their laws and making these laws and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah. Like, okay, something's not right with this picture. It's the same thing, the same cycle uh, that we see, right? So uh, the um, the founding fathers tried to stop that of, of the United States when they put the Constitution. They, they specifically wanted that not to happen. But then very quickly, within 100 years, the religious forces are trying to reinstitute religious policy in, in the state and trying to find loopholes and ways to do it uh, to get around the constitutional aspects of it. And, and yeah, we're, we're still dealing with that today. I mean, really... The abortion issue is a major example of this, where it's really driven by religion uh, and religious ideology. It's not, uh, it's not it's really not, an, a secular point of view at all uh, about the way, even you know, the way women's bodies work or the way anything works, uh, or why you should make these decisions as to for other people, right? Making making choices for other people rather than letting them make their own choices, uh, and so. You know, science supports that, but but religion wants to really go in and take it over and. and take control over people's well, my lives. Thing is if, if, if you're going to be that way, then, you know, there's got to be someone to put in a law about all males have um, a vasectomy at 13. <laughs> because that's reversible when you become an adult and you're financially secured and you got a good job and a house and then you get married and then do you want to have children? You can go have that thing reversed and have all the babies you want then. That's a way right. to control yeah. and the yeah. right and the reason they would they would the same arguments they would make against that are exactly the same arguments that they should be accepting against controlling women's bodies the same way. Yeah. So I want to you know I, hey if there's a female lawyer that agrees with what I'm saying let's get together and put a bill together <laughs> somehow for it because I mean come on you know this is like an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth. And it's so, it's frustrating and no one sees this. It's like, I see history repeating itself, just different time period. The energetic emotional traumas from the origins of not only our creation, but in the religion aspects and everything and everything, that energy, that emotional energy keeps passing forward and look where we are today. You yeah, I see, I see it as our, you know, because we, we evolved from animals. It's our it's our savage and irrational tendencies uh, that keep coming back. And it, it takes a lot of effort and discipline to suppress and correct those, right? To, to act like rational, civilized people takes training and effort and commitment. Uh, and so it's very easy to fall back into the patterns of savage, savagery and irrationality. And that, that's where you get this violence, where you get this oppressive character uh, this need to control the world and control other people uh, rather than creating a world where people can just get along and, and be themselves. You know, uh, I, I, all of that is, is built on an architecture of our brain is not well designed. Uh, it's, you know, it's an animal brain that makes a lot of irrational mistakes and that it takes a lot of skill and training to get around that. Uh, and then, of course, we have, you know, our passions, our emotions uh, can get the better of us. And that leads to, you know, hatred and uh, violence and trying to blame uh, other people for your own problems. And and that kind of irrationality, I think, drives a lot of what's going on in the world. And so that's why you see this cycle. 
if we, we start to get smarter, figure out that's a bad, and then we get, you know, start to get rid of it, but these irrational passions return and then we have to confront them again. I think overall, we keep making a net gain. Like we've made significant progress over the last 2000 years, but it's in a cyclical thing, right? So it's like, it's up and down and up and down, but it, the trend is up, but we're always seeing backlashes and then we have to fight back to where we were and, and make more advancement and so on. You look at the whole last hundred years of history, with gay rights, for example, and trans rights and women's rights and all of that, you see this advancement, backlash, more advancement, backlash, and so on. Um, it's very annoying that we have to deal with this, but it, it's because we were not intelligently engineered by uh, a, a well-meaning deity. So it's, we're badly designed, and so we have to like cope with that in various ways. Well, I, you know. The one thing that I, I've come across and, and, and the, the experiences that I've had, you know, spirituality, you have to experience it to understand it. And I've been through and I'm still going through it. Like I'm having spiritual experiences, you know, almost every day, really. And, you know, the things that I'm discovering, the things that it like God realization moments. And the one thing. I honestly believe is I am a divine spiritual being, a sexual being inside this human being to experience life. And in this lifetime, it's, you know, what, what could be the greatest expression that I could be of myself? Like after everything that I've been through, the false identity of who I am for believing in a book that really... Right. You know, I believe that that's that's one of the root of the problems because we do not have we do not know who we are. We have a false identity of who we are. Yeah, it's a cultural programming, right? Um, and yes. rather than self exploration, self discovery, I, I think uh, I, I don't think it's necessary from from my side of things. I don't think it's necessary for there even to be supernatural realities for us to still experience spirituality, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think spirituality has a lot more to do with the state of mind and where is our harmony with nature and, and reality and community uh, and the realizations of the incredible things like the fact that we can have knowledge of the cosmos now like that that's something that we we should really appreciate knowledge of nature the fact that we can understand uh, how the world works and, and and actually stare at the beauty of nature and take in the marvel of the aesthetic experience of that and the grandeur of it and the greatness of it. Like all of this stuff can be experienced without uh, having to attach it to any kind of supernatural ideology. Um, we can just enjoy it and explore it and analyze it with the self-examined life in the same way that, well, in the, in my tradition, Socrates uh, first talked about that the self-examined or the unexamined life is not worth living. So one should live the self-examined life and try to ask yourself, like, why do I believe the things that I believe? Why do I have the values that I have? Um, why do I have the feelings that I have? Like some, sometimes that's valid. Sometimes it's not. So as you deal with, for example, homophobic people have deep feelings of uh, insecurity and anger uh, that are misplaced and are not, uh, don't have a real basis, but you'd have to interrogate yourself to actually discover that. Uh, and, and not just interrogate yourself, obviously question the world and like, look into what are the facts rather than what, what have people told you, go look and see what is actually the case uh, and start to get rid of this baggage that, that sort of has groomed people to be 
homophobic, for example, to be like find the existence of gay people disgusting or offensive or scary. Like they're they're literally scared of these people for no reason, right? So uh, and and that's that does that self examination is part of the pathway out of those those false belief systems. Yeah, and it's so sad because I mean, even in okay, now you understand the Roman Empire and the they like in the Julius Caesar times and I guess Caesar and even in like reading some of the scriptures in the Bible, my lord, that was a title, just like Correct. Caesar was a title. So I think there's a, a confusion in even reading that book is the Lord said this. Well, it was who was reigning that gate was given that title, my Lord. Yeah, that, that's that's one explanation that people have advanced before um, regarding, first, the word Lord does mean just any Lord, right? So like human or or angelic, angels were called Lords, gods were called Lords, and so on. But so were humans, uh, people in charge. Uh, but there was a tendency, of course, to claim that a higher lord right the god uh told the lower lord the human leader uh all the things that he's telling the people in order to convince them that he's right right like, rather than i'm just some human who made this stuff up no 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 god said it uh and so that tendency to use that argument you see it all throughout the bible with the changing of the laws and principles over time and then uh and then since right i see all the divisions of christianity divisions of religion and so on everybody claims that they have God telling them uh, what they're telling everybody else, but when really it's just them. Uh, and, and, but they want to sell it. And the only way to sell it is to claim God said it. Yeah. Basically. Cause they're, they're egos instead of being a host of God, they're become egos of God. And right. And instead of, God, instead in of way. basing, instead of having to defend, right. To say like, here's what I think. And here's why. Well, now that allows people to argue against you and to present evidence against what you're saying. So you could actually be proved wrong. But if you say, well, God said it, and I'm going to beat the crap out of you if you deny that God told me this, right? Like that, that, that's not a rational yeah. way to proceed with civilization. And, and I'm like, I call bullshit, you know, like, yeah. Why I, does God go to you and why not he can't eat? Well, right. you know what? I'm going to go have a conversation with God tonight. Exactly. And I'm gonna right. Yeah. Why? Why? And, and you would expect a real God would talk to everybody and give them the same message. And that's how you would know it was God, right? If, if God's giving everybody a different message, well, I, I don't think it's really God that, that those messages are coming from, right? Uh, so, um, but for, for the other side of it, I think, uh, so I wrote one of my first books in philosophy was Sense and Goodness Without God. Uh, so it's a, as, a, as an atheist, uh, as an ex-Daoist, actually, I had really powerful spiritual experiences as a Taoist when I was younger, um, but then realized that those had scientific explanations and so on, But and that the some of the wisdom was bad, some of the wisdom was good. It was a question of how do you pick and choose? How do you figure out what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff of any religion? And then I realized, like, well, what then should we believe? So my book, Sense and Goodness Without God, is about what we should believe, not really focusing on what we shouldn't believe. Um, like a lot of atheist books focus on what you should deny, what you should doubt. Uh, and I have sections on that in that book, but the rest of the book is really about, well, what do we replace religion with? What, how do we figure out what is true uh, and, and what should our beliefs be? And so the book is largely about that. And I think that's often neglected when people abandon religion, they don't know where to go uh, or what to replace it with. And sometimes they replace it with something just as wrong as the thing that they left. And so 
we do have a responsibility to be like critical thinkers and self-examiners and try and figure out what should we replace it with uh, for real. Uh, and, and that takes effort and work, but I think it's the thing that religious devotion should channel into our pursuit of philosophy and knowledge of wisdom. And to me, it's, you know, what I've learned is I, I do not participate in any kind of religion anymore, but I, I come to nature. I just connect mm -hmm. energy, like what feels good and that's positive that, you know, and just connecting and from my own experiences in, in life that I've experienced and overcame, I just have a different perspective on how I look at life and how I look at people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's better, uh, frankly. You know, you can uh, think of- I just, Okay, you're on your own journey. Like we're all here on a journey to discover ourselves. And we chose to come here to learn things, to have experiences in order to gain wisdom from. That's what life's about. Yeah, truly. that That is the meaning of life and would be regardless of any of this other stuff. Trying to sell people on some sort of afterlife that you can you can forget about paying attention to this world. You'll get into a better one later as long as you give us the right amount of money and do the right amount of actions and things like that. Um, that's just a vehicle of control. Whereas I think if people realize no life right now is to be lived and to be enjoyed. And you're going to think of like, I could live a life of self-examination, a life of enjoying the world of, of really experiencing it, of pursuing and gaining wisdom, or I could live a life where I don't do those things. And what would be better to have existed in the world is that life that is lived through pursuit of wisdom or that life that is not. Uh, and I, I think that's pretty self-evident. I think once people realize it. Uh, and hopefully yeah, that kind of realization will lead to like you, where you people leave the institutional religions and just start finding their own path. Yeah, because it's, I'm looking at how religion is it. You even said it earlier, the division, look at, mm -hmm. there's so many religions and everyone thinks, and it's, you know, oh, our religion is the truth and yours is not. And there's division there. And then look at how it is in the politics. There's division there too. And I'm like, look at it. I'm like, no matter what, how I see this, this is just division, plain and simple. And your eyes are so succumbed to this division. Yeah. And that ties back into our, what we were talking about earlier about Jesus. There's a, there's a million different Jesuses, right? So everybody has their own idea of what Jesus was and taught all the way from yeah. a Jesus who's pro-war to a Jesus who's a total pacifist, right? Who, who's, you know, so you have those different attitudes of uh, Jesus who's a pro-capitalist and Jesus who's pro-socialist. What people do is they they decide in advance or are told in advance what ideology they should be backing. And then they mm -hmm. invent a mythical Jesus that backs that, right? So, and it won't really right. track what you find in the gospels or it might do, but it doesn't matter. Even the gospels have different Jesuses being presented in them. Uh, and so, uh, and, and, and so when people look at that, like Jesus is always being mythologized, even today, there's still myths being written about Jesus in terms of what he did and didn't support. Uh, I, have just recently was reading, a, a an account where people are trying to argue sincerely that Jesus was pro-capitalist, that he was actually in favor of a anarcho-capitalist libertarian ideology. And it's like, well, if you look at the gospels, there, there's no way to make that case really. Uh, but they were contorting all the texts to be make Jesus the kind of person that they wanted him to be 
because they came at it already with that ideology. They wanted that ideology to be true. So they just invented a mythical Jesus that supports it. And people are still doing that. That's a modern ideology, the, the concept of political libertarianism. Um, so people are still inventing new Jesuses, new, new Jesus myths uh, to back it. And I think that's what the original Jesus myths were as well. People had a vision for society. So they invented a myth about Jesus that supported their vision for society, whatever that was. Uh, and, and it can be interesting as a historian to study that. Like what were the different gospel authors advocating? What were the worldviews that they built their Jesus to defend? Uh, but so, that's all they're doing is inventing a mythical Jesus to do it. So I have a good question. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> we're talking about Jesus now. Yeah. Uh, now, and you, you studied the, that Roman time period back in supposedly of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Right. But in the history and in timelines, they didn't do that kind of thing back then, did they? They did. Yeah. Uh, the Roman Empire was pretty brutal uh, with its use of crucifixion as a means of uh, terrorism, essentially. It's a state terrorism uh, to get people in line. Um, but also the, the independent Jewish courts did this, too. Uh, so the, the Jewish courts were also executing people for trivial offenses uh, by horrible ways, like stoning, strangling. There are four ways, stoning, strangling, beheading and immolation, setting people on fire. Uh, and then after killing them, they would hang them up dead uh publicly to humiliate and uh warn everyone else like see this is what will happen to you if you break our uh, religious code uh so even even jewish authorities were doing that at the time and this the language is the same so we actually can't tell when like paul for example is talking about the crucifixion of jesus that might not necessarily even refer to a roman crucifixion it could refer to the jewish method of execution because the language the vocabulary was identical so we can't tell. The idea of really laying it onto the crucifixion of the Romans is a, is a later, I think, Christian mythical, mythical focus. Um, whether whether Jesus was actually crucified by the Romans or not, uh, I think it was. It became a symbol that they wanted to advocate in a particular way. They were less interested in the history of it, the reasons of it. And this is like modern historians who try to reconstruct a historical Jesus start with the assumption that well, then if he was crucified by the Romans, he must have broken Roman law somehow. And the gospels don't really portray him doing that. And so, so there's a lot of like theorizing as to, well, was he a rebel leader? That's one of the popular uh, um, attitudes is that he was actually a violent military zealot and then got whitewashed in mythology as a, as a pacifist, pacifist leader. I don't believe that, but it is a theory that, that scholars toy around with and because they have to try and explain if he was crucified by the Romans, why? Uh, the, the story told in the gospels does not fit history. And I think that's what you were getting at is the idea that the Romans would just crucify someone because the Jews told them to. Like, there's no way they would right. do that. Uh, no. Nor would they do it even for the reason that's shown, like, the, like he's claimed to be the king of the Jews, right? Um, the Romans didn't just execute people for crazy people walking around claiming they were the king of the Jews, right? Like, they, you had to actually take military action to actually try and become the king of the Jews, uh, right? So, like, that, that's you had to actually be a rebel, uh, to do that. And, and there's nothing Jesus does in the Gospels that, that tracks that. So there, there isn't any reason based on what we're told in the Gospels for the Romans to have crucified Jesus. So you're absolutely right on that point. Like the stories make no sense in context. There had to have been something else. So if you do believe that Jesus was crucified by the Romans, you've got to come up with some other explanation that has been omitted from the Gospels. Where's the proof? Hidden. That's my thing. Show me the exactly. proof. Exactly. Then, then you get into it's that. Right. You can come source. up with theories. Right. You can come up with theories, but then how do you back those theories? How do you know what actually happened? We don't have access to that. And so that's where things start to get 
difficult for historicists. And then, you know, when I guess he in that story, he takes he, he takes his last breath and then three days later he rose again or and then like it was the ground shook and separated right. and the tomb split open and the dead so i'm yeah I'm came forth people, people might Wait, not know this yes i'm reading the, that part and i'm like what people were coming out of their graves oh my god what did they look like the walking dead where did they go <laughs> and, then, and then it's like a a, a a blockbuster like it leaves you hanging moment i'm like so what happened did they go right. home did they I'm home. Did they look the same? Did they look like a mummy? You know, so what happened to those people? <laughs> yeah, no, these are valid questions to ask. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was like. There's something not right with this picture because uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they like, what were they thinking? Like, did somebody actually yeah. witness that? And this was like, what time period did this happen? Like, really? Come on, people, wake up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's obvious mythology. These are stories that were made up. And it's worth pointing out that the story you just told is only told in Matthew. The other gospel authors never heard of it or act like they've never heard of it, right? So uh, just one author put that in there uh, to, to illustrate a story. He, wa he wanted to illustrate that the resurrection of Jesus or the death of Jesus was the beginning, the signal, the beginning of the end and the general resurrection of the saints and so on. So it's all symbolism. It's all allegory. I, I don't think he really meant people to take it as history, but very quickly Christians did take it as history. And, but then that creates all the problems you noted. They think like, it's the word of God. It's Holy Spirit filled. And yeah, then mm -hmm. I hear that. I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm Holy Spirit filled. And so are you. So what's the difference? Right. Yeah. Why aren't we getting the same signals here? That That's a valid question. I think it's fundamentally important. And then it's like uh, come to find out, like going through the hit, like the history, because in in even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they don't give you in such and such, you know, three A.D. to da 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 da, like you read in books now. Yeah, you know, that's so right. That, that and I'm like, well, who was reigning then? Who was the Lord? Because I've got uh, the Ambarambi codes of law. And there is like close to 300 laws. And I see similarities in what's our laws today, which is fascinating. But then I'm thinking, how in the hell did they think up of these taxes and wages back then? I mean, yeah. I mean, if you could look back, uh, we have records for several civilizations going back about 4,000 years, roughly. And we can actually trace the development of sophistication uh, and how, how, how and why they develop these laws over time. Um, and it's really civilization was founded, essentially created to solve certain problems. Like you have, you have just villages or tribes interacting with each other. You have a lot of conflicts that arise. You have people trying to cheat each other. Um, and so you have to like figure out, well, how do we resolve these conflicts? How do we prevent fraud? How do we do all of this? And then of course they come up with a solution, but that solution costs money. Well, now who pays for it? Uh, and so they they come up with the idea of taxation, uh, fees, and things like that. Find find different ways to pay for it. And so these ideas evolve over time and get more sophisticated. But they you can see vestiges of the original stuff is still exists today. I mean, one of the most I'll give you an example. One of the most fundamental things that governments first did was regulate weights and measures, so that if you said this is a pound of grain you couldn't change what you meant by a pound, right? You, you, the pound had to be a fixed amount and you could test whether you're using a fixed mm -hmm. scale or the correct one, uh, length and so on. So all these measures. So Athens is a famously in that region where, where Greece is, 
was Athens was the first state to actually start enforcing weights and measures. They had a law system that said, no, these are the weights and measures. These are the standards. If anybody violates them, they're a criminal. We're going to prosecute them, et cetera. And what happened was everyone now wants to go trade at Athens because now they know they got fair weights and measures, right? So it was actually a huge boom uh, for their economy and, and actually led to a lot of wealth and a lot of power, which of course, eventually they abused and so on. But, uh, but the principle was correct, right? Is this idea of if you just enforce these basic regulations, it leads to everything being better for us. Uh, and then of course, to enforce the regulations, you have to pay for them somehow, uh, pay for that somehow. And so this is how these ideas evolve over time. Um, with trial and error and so on, uh, we realize these things. And, and But the ones that work stick around. Uh, and that's why we still have enforced weights and measures today for the same reason uh, that the Athenians invented it. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then um, I totally had a brain fart. Sorry. <laughs> I got so right. <laughs> the, the measurements and all. But then there's... Um, I was trying to think, oh, uh, you mentioned about Alexandra the Great. Back in those times, it was like a three, was it 280 BC, 300 BC? Uh, uh, Alexander the Great, he, I don't know where, how he came up with this, but he created the, the lighthouse. Lighthouse of Alexandria. Um, he probably yes. didn't create it. He founded it. So he had that. He had to have the idea. And I'm like, how did he get the idea? Yeah, he, of, he commissioned of the it. White House I, um, for he, he left. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things, so one of the books that I've written, it's a different subject than the Jesus and Christianity, is ancient science and technology. So I wrote a book called The Scientist in the Early Roman Empire. And I talk about what what were these guys? What what kind of science did they have? What kind of technology did they have? And I have a whole section, uh, a small section on lighthouses and, and lighthouse technology, um, the use of different, um, for example, reflecting mirrors, uh, their use of foghorns. So they had like water powered foghorns. Uh, so they had a lot of, you know, they're doing a lot of things, but the Roman Empire was very big on lighthouses are super useful. So they had a huge funding you know, the emperors funded a huge building of lighthouses all across the Mediterranean because they were super helpful. Uh, and so this, that's an example of how like these technologies that we still use today. Now, of course, now today we have radar, uh, uh, but radar is just another form of like lighthouse, right? It's a different kind of light. It's using radio waves instead of visible light, but it's doing the same thing that lighthouses serve the purpose of. Uh, and so- That's the um, first lighthouse built. As far as I know, I, I haven't looked into that. Yeah, I haven't looked into whether there were lighthouses before or in other cultures. Um, I, I'm not aware of any, but I, I haven't looked into it. So I can't say that for sure. But uh, it is certainly the, the first famous lighthouse, uh, the first one that I know of in um, the Greco-Roman period and culture. From, from what I've studied, because I found that fascinating because I actually watched the, and it was a great movie. And I, I got teary-eyed because actually the library got destroyed from the religion aspects. They did not like these philosophers. And and I was like, why are they tearing up history? They might yeah. not agree to it, but you're destroying evidence of writings and documentations that they were documenting on events mm -hmm. and things that they were discovering and whatnot. And yeah, there's there's I, a legend I that the, 
the final destruction of the of the great library because there was there were few but um the final destruction of the last library of alexandria according to the history books that we have uh was by muslims and so when muslims took over the city they wrote to the caliph and said what do we do with this huge library and he says well if the books agree with the quran we don't need them if the books disagree with the quran we need to get rid of them so just burn it all and so the story goes that they just took all the books and they used them to as fuel for heating the baths, the public bat bathing houses uh, in the city. That, that's, that's what the legend says. Um, uh, that may or may not be true, uh, but one way or another, we know that the library didn't survive, right? So uh, uh, after the fifth century, there, there is no record of it um, or of any significant library in Alexandria after that. And it was in, I do believe, in part of the... Alexander the Great with, I want to say Colin Powell. It was uh, you a documentary. I, I didn't see that documentary, so I can't comment. On oh that. my gosh, I saw it and I was just like, oh. A movie I would recommend. There's, um, it's not explicitly about that, but it's about the religious violence and tensions in Alexandria at the time, and the murder of Hypatia, who's like the the last great philosopher, um, the last great pagan philosopher of. Alexandria, um, uh, starring Rachel Weitz and various other um, really great actors, but it's called Agora, uh, and that movie will make you cry, uh, guarantee it, um, and it is fairly accurate as historical fiction. Obviously, they have to make up some stories to fill out fill out some blanks, but in right. terms of the Agora. historical details, yeah, it's called Agora, A-G-O-R-A, -A. Um, but all the historical details um, that they base the story on are all basically correct. Like they made up a bunch of stuff, but the stuff they made up does not contradict history. It's all stuff that could have happened to fill in the blanks that we have about uh, the fate of, Ale of Alexandria and the fate of Hypatia at the time. But it really focuses, the movie really focuses on how religion drives people to violence and why this is a bad thing. Uh, and it ties into the eventual dis ruthless destruction of knowledge carelessly, basically. Because um, th that depicts an another event where the Christians burned the smaller library in Alexandria, the Serapion. Um, but they didn't burn it. Right. They didn't burn it to destroy the books specifically. Um, but the books were in there. They didn't care about them. They let, they lit them on fire and destroyed them anyway. Uh, but uh, they were actually trying to kill the pagans, right? They were trying to get at the people who took, took refuge in this library. Um, but still it's the same, same result. This, this complete disregard for the destruction of human knowledge. And even just this this murderous violence uh, being stirred by religious sentiment, uh, and that 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 movie's really about that. It's I'm really good. I recommend it. I, it sounds so familiar, but um, you know, even just the seeing it in a in a in a film aspect of it, it's like connecting to a piece of history. That's right. And then seeing that lighthouse, I was like, wait a minute, they have a light lighthouse back then? Like, right. <laughs> how did they come up with that? We you have know? a lot. There's a lot of great tech couple, back then. Like, how, how did they, like, me, I'm thinking, how did they get a light bulb? You know, or did they use a, you know, a, a huge candle? you know, to light it? Like, I wanted to know that question. Is right, like, yeah, these are I, great questions to ask. We know some of the answer to that. There was a great fire that was a bonfire inside it that was maintained, but it was reflect. They use um, uh, parabolic mirrors, like curved mirrors, mm -hmm. to reflect the light and focus the light. And basically, so like you have that the beam of a the rotating beam of a lighthouse, 
the fire is below, but they use mirrors to, to reflect the light. So they were actually doing that. So they just had to maintain a bonfire underneath it. Oh. Um, so that, that's okay. how the, that's how the, the light source was, but they did use a sophisticated uh, parabolic reflecting mirror system to actually project the light as a beam out to see for ships to see, right? Cause this is the whole point of it. Wow. And what are you, I know with um, the pandemic and everything. Now I, I gave everybody uh, in the description notes of uh how to contact you um how to get a hold of your books and whatnot so that's there for them and um do you have any like events that you're going to speaking engagements or is there another nothing coming up um yeah if people want, want to see me speak i mean i do a lot of youtube shows but uh people want to see me speak live that's not happening yet, uh, but uh, I do announce in-person events. I announce them on my blog, also my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed. So people who want to see when that happens, if that gets scheduled, uh, that's follow one of those feeds and you'll you'll hear about it. Um, but generally, no, I'm I'm mostly just staying home doing digital stuff, uh, doing YouTube uh, interviews, doing interviews like like your show here, and and writing. So I'm doing a lot of blogging and teaching online. So people who want to learn critical thinking skills. You want to learn about ancient science? I have a course, an online course uh, for people to take. Uh, all of that stuff can be found on my website. Oh, wow. You keep yourself busy. I do, yeah. <laughs> and like with, would, would critical thinking, before we wrap this up, uh, I read a good book and I'm, I started to read it and it's from Thomas Paine. He was yeah. back in the day, a freedom thinker. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I consider him one of the founding fathers, even though he didn't actually sign anything. But he was a major influence in the American Revolution and, and wrote some of the really, really seminal works in um, critical thinking and questioning of religion. So which yes, which, what, which book are you thinking of? That He wrote several. Uh, so. Common Sense and uh, yeah. the Age of Reason. Age of Reason, so that's right. Mm -hmm. And I listened to the audio. And sometimes I'm like, he's going so slow. I have to speed up his speaking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he, and, and it's like, dude, you put me to sleep. Let me see if I could speed this up some. <laughs> so it sounds more <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, it's useful. It's useful <laughs> technology. I agree. I do that myself often to audio. Oh my gosh. I'm reading. Um, now I'm reading the Emerald Tablets by Billy Carson. Which is the condiment from um, Thoth, from the Egyptian aspects, and then uh, the Lost Book of Inky from Zacharias St Sitchin. So I'm finding connections of similarities of writings that, hey, wait a minute, I've read that before in another book. Sounds the <laughs> same to me. And you can find things going on in China too. You look at the Han Dynasty, which is you know first century ish uh, AD. In China, you see they they were coming up with independently a lot of similar ideas uh, that we we get today. Um, I always recommend the Lun Heng, which is by Wang Chung, uh, it's a Confucian philosopher who wrote a, a huge multi volume work trying to explain ghosts and things like that. But his his rationalistic scientific mindset uh, resembles very much the Roman Empire. The, the, rationalist thinkers back then so you see yeah ideas people 
thinking similar ways, come up with similar ideas uh, for these things. And it, it is fascinating to see that we've been doing this and working on it for thousands of years. Uh, so um, civilization has always been a big project that, that has taken many lives uh, to get us to where we are today. And we'll take many more uh, to get us, I think, where we need to go. I think we still have a lot of progress left to make. Well, yeah. And it's, to me, it's like if when we wake up and realize, hey, you know, it, we've repeated this before. It didn't work out. we got to do something better that's yeah. nonviolent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We can, uh, we can share. There's no need to, for selfishness and greed and control. There's more than enough for everyone. You know, and mm -hmm. I, that's where I'm at. It's like, we gotta, that's why I started the show. Like, and I want to educate, get people to think outside the box. You yeah, know? I, I agree with that mission. So, so keep on it. That's why I'm so <laughs> glad you're here. <laughs> and I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for having for me anybody on. that is into, you know, what, Dr. Richard Carrier's into in the, the science and the history and whatnot, go to his site. Yeah. You know, if you have questions, he, he'll have the answer um, or somebody's going to have the answer. It's just yeah. a way of connecting to get to the answer because everybody has mm -hmm. a message. And I believe that's why we came across because you, you've answered some things for me, you know, and it just like even what we just talked about it just it resonates it makes sense that's good yeah yeah it's been good uh so thanks for having me on um yeah now now i gotta go eat lunch uh, i'm starving oh, so. <laughs> oh, i so appreciate you and thank you so much for this time that i got to have with you i truly appreciate it and i wish you the best of success thank you Well, there you go. I told you I was going to have an interesting conversation and bring interesting people to help you think out of the outside of the box so you can start creating a new and transformed best version of you so you could start living your best life now. So stay tuned because you never know who I'm going to get on this show.